Hello, welcome to the Talking City podcast. We're talking all things Manchester City here from the Manchester Evening News. And today we're talking about Manchester City's 1-1 draw with Chelsea. Now, I don't, I've, I've thought about this game a few times since full-time and I still don't know what to make of it, whether it was a good game, a bad game, a good performance or not. My name's Joe Bray. I'm joined by Simon Bykovsky. Si, it was a bit of a weird <clears> one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I, um, I stumbled. I take so many pictures at games and then... Uh, most of them never see the light of day. The picture I took after, when I was waiting in the press conference was um, the stats off the BBC website that had possession City 71%. City, 30, I think these are the key. Um, City 32 shots to Chelsea's nine, but five shots on target to Chelsea's six, which kind of tells you that Yes, City had most of the play and, you know, bombarded Chelsea's goal, but not necessarily in an accurate way, whereas the few chances they gave up were, you know, good enough to test Edison and and test the keeper. So it, it was one of those games where no one could complain if City had won. Um, but equally, if, say, you know, Edison hadn't made some of the saves that he made, you could turn around and say... Well, it was understandable why City lost. Um, there was, you know, some refereeing decisions that the the team and the manager weren't happy with, but um, that wasn't why they drew. That wasn't why they dropped points. Um, they just ultimately weren't good enough to win, really, despite a generally good performance. Well, this is it. I think Guardiola and other players like Kyle Walker and Bernardo have said the performance was good but there was just something missing and it felt like Chelsea came with a very clear plan which was to sit back give the ball to Cole Palmer let people run past him and just play the ball into that channel and it was that sort of left back channel on City's side that resulted in the goal there was a couple of chances before if Nicholas Jackson could control a ball they'd have had a 2-0 lead when when they were 1-0 ahead it was it felt a bit too easy for Chelsea just to to pick them off and yeah, Chelsea are Chelsea at the moment. They've got good players, but maybe not the best unit. But they, I, I thought the plan was quite effective and it, it gave City sort of the challenge of having to abandon the game plan really in the second half. It felt like City's plan was just hope and get the ball to good players and, and hope that they do something. And the goal was kind of reflective of that because it was a bit of a, a bit of shades of Istanbul really, wasn't it? It sort of, broke loose to Rodri and he just put his foot through it a, a bit less scientifically than in Istanbul but it, it wasn't a sort of a free-flowing move and you've got Haaland missing chance after chance and it felt like it was going to be one of those days and I do think a draw was fair given how both of those both the teams played and I know those stats say make it look like it was heavily weighted in City's favour but something was just off a bit wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And, and Walker came out afterwards, didn't he? And said, um, you know, we have to attack teams at the Etihad. And the thing is, they did. Um, you know, I feel like what Pochettino is very, very good at getting his teams to do against um, Guardiola City, what he was at Tottenham and what he is now at Chelsea, is kind of anticipating how aggressively City will press them, but having the players to play the way out of it. You know, a number of times um, Palmer and others were able to kind of play through the lines at the, from back to 
from their own box into City's half and get some space down that side. And it was the same in the uh, the four four at, at Stamford Bridge. Like City pressed really well. It's yeah, I don't know. Two yeah, um, I, I think City pressed really well. Um, but che- but credit to Chelsea who did really well at at playing playing through them. Um, and in that sense, you have to give credit to for Chelsea for doing that. Um, and then as well, you know, City did miss a number of chances, you know, only five on target. How many did Erling Haaland put off target that he, he should have done better with? Um, cause let's play devil's advocate. Haaland scores that easy header in the first half and that sitter in the second half. And it's three, one. And we're talking about another game in which City haven't been perfect. They've conceded again, but they've won the game and everyone's saying, oh, you know, they're going to waltz away with the league and, and whatever. So as much as <laughs> City dropping points gives hopes to everyone else, um, you can't really expect Haaland to miss those chances that he missed every week. And, and as much as City didn't play uh, that well, certainly up until they they conceded, um, it, they were still kind of had... Haaland scored the goals that everyone expected him to, it would have been a comfortable win. I think it was one of those games that had all the ingredients of a, a City defeat or a draw, where City aren't at their best, they've got a few key players out, they're conceding an easy goal on the break, which has become a bit symptomatic recently, hasn't it? You've got Haaland not playing as well as he, as he can and missing those chances, and it gives the opposition hope, and they, they took that chance very well on the break, and you've got Raheem Sterling, who knows what City are going to do inside out and he looked for a player who didn't celebrate he looked quite happy to to score and you, I think him and Cole Palmer and, and Conor Gallagher we commented on, on Conor Gallagher at the game didn't we how sort of quietly yes. effective he was despite it was just quite his a... socks yeah <laughs> well yeah that was uh, I mean Kyle Walker <laughs> would be proud wouldn't he but it's yeah uh, yeah no I, I just thought that it, it, it felt like Chelsea were going to go away with a 1-0 win and it was yeah. going to be a City of battering them but it's just nothing it's not going to go in yeah however I would say as well that like sat at Brentford <clears throat> and Mark Flecken's having a worldie and Brentford are 1-0 up and you're thinking this is going to be one of those days and it wasn't and you sat at Copenhagen and City have total control and then Edison gives the ball away and it's one all of all of a sudden and you think this is like got another Champions League just silly uh throwaway written all over it. And and it wasn't. And yeah, they didn't do enough to to get the three points against Chelsea. But I think it was the signs of um a kind of more resilient city side that have you know, they they've come back from behind to win four the last four away games in the league so they they are getting better when they do go behind at, at, at coming back um, and yeah they only managed the one goal against Chelsea so it was a draw but the the chances were still there that they should have won um, even though it wasn't the best performance Do you think and we, we asked Kyle Walker this is it an issue that City are conceding first <clears throat> so often I think Walker said we can't wait for a, an action to get a reaction and as you said he said that we that City don't want to uh, sort of let teams come and 
establish themselves at the Etihad and he doesn't know why they're conceding first, but it feels like it's becoming increasingly common or it, it feels like it's individual mistakes as well as there's the Edison yeah. one at Copenhagen, easy balls over the top. It, it's, it's never sort of a, a free-flowing move, is it, that that gets a goal against City? It's often just a, a direct goal or a, a mistake. It, it should be an issue, but, it, <laughs> you know, it, it's not. I think it's 11, 11 clean sheets in 37 or 38, which is like a terrible record if you if you're trying to have as much success as City are having and yet if they win the game in hand they'll be one point off top spot in the league you know by they've pretty much got one foot in the Champions League quarters they've got looting away in the FA Cup to make the the FA Cup quarters so you know they've conceded 26 goals in the league in 24 games which you know isn't that bad Arsenal are top with 22 Liverpool 24 so you know they, they won't be happy with the number of goals they are conceding but apart from this Chelsea game where they missed several good chances to get the win it hasn't really been impacting on on results it kind of was around you know the Chelsea 4-4 Tottenham Liverpool that run of games they should have got more points from uh, and they weren't good enough in in either box and you can say that again on um, on Saturday so the issue I suppose is um, are they kind of one-offs that won't matter or against the good sides um, and City have quite a number to play in March, um, including Liverpool, will that habit of conceding goals not be enough for them to uh, overturn that with the number of goals they score? This is It should be a problem and I think BT or TNT Sport were trying to not make it a problem, but say this is the only negative stat we can find about City at the moment and it's that clean sheet one. But it feels just like it's a bit of a persistent thing that City could be a bit better at. And last season they were so good in defence and City sing, the fans sing about the, the best defence in Europe, but it doesn't feel like they're as solid this season. So, And, and Walker was quite clear that he, he wants improvement in that area. He also said that it's up to the strikers as well to to press better and the defenders to make blocks. And it, it was a team effort. It wasn't just the, the four defenders who play. But it, yeah, it feels like they, they could be sharpening up. But at the same time, like you say, on another day, they win 3-1 and Haaland scores those two chances. Touched on Haaland, definitely not his day. Um, he looked, I mean, for the first time I've ever seen him, he walked through the mix zone at City and he just looked dejected and didn't want to be there and just wanted to get out of there he, it felt like a, a day for him where it just was never never ever going to go in was it that that was just because he saw you um he, yeah he's making a good habit of just completely blanking me when I, <laughs> whenever he sees me so yes um yeah it was one of his poorest games for City um you know I think we do have to take into account the um the death in his family that's just happened. You know, I don't think anyone can say um, how much of that, of an effect on him that has, that has had, but you definitely can't say, Oh, it's had none. Um, and, but aside from that, yeah, he, he just wasn't as, <laughs> the thing is you talk about sort of TNT raising one of the rare city weaknesses. Heading is one of Harlan's weaknesses. And, you know, had those really good chances come at his feet, 
you think he would have taken them. Yeah, he missed that uh, volley in the second half from that fantastic City breakaway when Foden squared it to him and it, he got it all wrong. But I think there was a bit of mitigation in that the um, he couldn't fully see the ball from uh, the way the Chelsea defender was in the way. And then there was that one shot that he had that Doku played him through and it was deflected and, you know, it was a good save from Petrovic, but maybe if it hadn't been deflected, it would have would have gone in. I think the, the, the two worst misses were the two headers and headers are something that he's been working on for, like, at least a year, kind of just trying to improve. You remember um, Old Trafford in the derby, he sort of missed one header at the end of the first half and then scored at the beginning of the second. And then as he was walking off with Guardiola, Pet was trying to sort of like give him <laughs> give him a lesson in how to head a ball almost. And, you know, Pep said on Saturday he'd never give him advice on how to score, but he, heading is Haaland's one weakness where he would like to improve and he's trying to improve but isn't there yet. So, um. It, yeah, the the game kind of exposed um, the the one aspect of Haaland's play really that isn't up to standard with the rest of it. I think though a lot of the first half chances, especially I was running our blog and I was writing, okay, he's missed it and it doesn't look good, but the ball was a bit behind him or like that volley was a very hard volley to do and there weren't easy chances. But I th- I think that second half header, he'd made so much space and he scored those headers before for City. That was. That was the one where City needed to, and that was the moment where you think, you know, maybe this isn't going to be City's day because that they were waiting for that chance, and then it came along, and suddenly the man who scores all those goals doesn't do it. But yeah, like you say, he's got those personal circumstances. I, st- I still think he's maybe a little bit rusty coming back from his injury. Doesn't feel like he's at peak Haaland just yeah. yet. I'm, I, I I'm think not if you want to wait, if you want to be an ultra optimist as well, like I, I watched it back and I can see, I I knew when it was coming. But like seconds before it came, I thought, how on earth is he going to find the space to to get this header with no one around him? And, you know, it owes to the quality of De Bruyne's ball, but also owes to Haaland finding space in the box like nobody else. And that is what he did last season. And like a lot of his goals look simple. But in fact, it's that kind of like world-class anticipation that puts him where the ball is going to be that no one else can match. So... You know, I, City would always rather they were creating the chances for him and he was getting himself in the position to score and wasn't scoring than he wasn't getting in the position at all. So, yeah, like, it, his his finishing kind of cost them two points, but it, it's made them so many points over the last 18 months and you would think, you know, starting on Saturday, he will be back to to what he does best this is it you, you can afford him an off day if, if anyone can have an off day at City you can you can afford Haaland because he's turned so many points into three hasn't he so uh, it, it, it's one of them and if if you're looking at sort of collective responsibility then other players miss chances as well and yeah you know, yeah exactly City shouldn't be conceding the goal they do and it's it is a, a sort of a collective game and speaking to Walker he didn't touch on that explicitly but you got the impression he was he wasn't just looking at any individuals and he also said it wasn't down to the players who weren't playing it was well, you know, with the manager picked a team it's well, it's a good job he wasn't looking at individuals it. given he got skinned by Sterling for the goal <laughs> like, you know I didn't know. mention that <laughs> no but you know as you were saying um, just before like 
City will want to kind of improve and last season had this amazing defence. They didn't really have an amazing defence by this point of last season, but it was just starting to come together and it came together by taking Kyle Walker out of the team. And I'm not saying, you know, Walker should definitely go. Um, always particularly bad on Saturday, but um, it was notable how much better City looked in midweek with John Stones. And once John Stones is back, fully fit he is surely a permanent starter in the team as is Diaz as is Ake which leaves one space for Akanji and you know Akanji's got a bit of flack for for Saturday um, and the notion is that he you know a lot of people think he, he just can't play the John Stones role and he can't play the John Stones role as well as John Stones can play it um, which is kind of why it's called the John Stones role uh, however, when he was kind of further back in defence, I thought Akanji was very good and made some important blocks and tackles and interceptions. So, you know, Akanji was really important to winning the treble last season, probably more important than Walker, um, and was in the team for those kind of really important uh, matches playing out of position or in position. So, you know, if there's one spot left in the team between Akanji and Walker, it's not a given that it's going to go into Walker. Um, but as you would expect City's defence to get better once Stones is back in, um, it it might, you might see kind of attitudes towards a Kanji shift again um, once he's doing more of the stuff that he's comfortable with. Well, you, you have eaten into one of my questions for the second part, which was a Kanji versus Stones, but we'll roll with it. I th- I think if if Akanji was doing that on his own and John Stones wasn't doing that position, he'd be getting far more credit because he can do that role well, but he just because he doesn't do it as well as Stones, it looks like it's not working as well. But I think when you're asking City to play exactly the same, they miss Stones so much on on Saturday, and there's just there was a couple of times where Guardiola was really at him or like trying to coach him from the sides because he just wasn't making that same pass that comes naturally to Stones. But yeah, like you say, when it does work, he's the one who played the ball in for Bernardo in, in Istanbul and it, that was like on the edge of the area, wasn't it? He, he can play the, the forward passes and when he's in, in the in the groove, he, he can do it. I just, yeah, I would say that, yes, Stones is integral to that, that back line and I, I don't think that Chelsea would have got the joy that they got over the top through those channels if Stones is there because Stones is putting pressure on Palmer or whoever's playing that ball but I think I just always think that the defence is a bit better marshalled when Stones is there the, the the transition between four at the back and three at the back is a bit more seamless when, when it's Stones rather than Akanji Yeah and that does beg the question of Guardiola like if you know Stones can only play one game in a week um is Chelsea in the league more important than Copenhagen in the Champions League? Maybe. Um, but also, you know, it, it sort of signals uh, the fitness issues that Stones has had all year, really, where he's not been able to just put a run of consistent starts together. So, you know, hopefully that will change going forward. And that probably doesn't help a candy either, does it? Because if he's playing some games in sort of the hybrid midfield role, some games as a centre-back, possibly right-back, some guy, some games on the bench, he, he probably doesn't know whether he's coming or going. So, um, 
yeah, you've, you've changed my opinion slightly. I was just, I was ready to come on and say, no, Kanji's no good in that role, but I'll, I'll cut him some slack and uh, we'll leave it there for part one. We'll come back and uh, discuss a few more talking points from the Chelsea game and the uh, press conferences before and after. We've teamed up with Manchester City to bring one listener the ultimate Manchester City fan experience. Immerse yourself in City's state-of-the-art stadium tour experience featuring all three of the treble winners' trophies as well as a first-hand feel as you walk out from the Etihad Stadium glass tunnel. But that's not all. Not only will you have a full tour of the stadium in all its glory, you will sit in Pep Guardiola's seat on the touchline to soak up that matchday feel as well as experience the newly updated virtual press room where you can sit next to the likes of Pep Guardiola himself, Manuel Akanji, Nathan Ake and Erling Haaland. If you want to be in with a chance of winning this fantastic prize, all you have to do is subscribe to the Talking City podcast and leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and email a screenshot with your name, location and contact information to TalkingCityPod. That's TalkingCityPod at gmail.com and we will announce the winner very soon. Good luck. Hello, welcome back to the Talking City podcast. Now, uh, before the Chelsea game, Simon, you got Pep on a little bit of a of a rant about whether City are boring or not, Re- recalling Gary Neville's comments. In our last podcast, we were asking, is the Champions League boring? Are City boring in, in that respect? But they're going to win all the time. Neville was saying sort of similar, wasn't he? And Pep had a bit of a, a spiky answer by saying, it's it's not as easy as it looks. Yeah, I mean, he was um, he was spiky all afternoon, wasn't he? But um, he, he, he didn't bite very much. But when you sort of saw the words in the, the cold light of day basically sort of said anyone worth the salt in world football knows knows how difficult it has been to achieve what we have achieved. I, I just think it's absolutely crazy that, you know, we're we're eight years into Guardiola at City and people are still sort of and not not just people like, you know, Neville's one of the leading pundits in in the game and saying, yeah, they're too boring to watch. I didn't bother watching them. It it's I don't know you know I sort of I just I struggle to believe that people have that opinion and like a game at Copenhagen might not sound the most exciting but you know we were sat in the press box and some of the the moves City were putting together you were just like oh my god this is this is brilliant to watch like it really is amazing in much the way that Roy Keane kind of went back at Neville and said, no, it's excellent. Like their football they play is amazing. It's outstanding. Like they should be given every, every bit of credit, but you know, it it seems a bit just disingenuous almost to, to sort of be sort of trying to trying to do down what, what city are doing. Um, You know, obviously there's the, the charges over their head, which will very much affect how, the club's success is looked over the last decade, but you can't really um, use that to to diminish what the team are, 
are doing right now on the pitch. Um, and yeah, Guardiola kind of just kind of <laughs> laughed. I, th- I think that was the, the biggest response because I'm not sure if he'd been briefed on it or not beforehand, but you know, he just kind of laughed in thinking, why the hell do I have to go through this again? Um, when, when the comments were, were put to him, uh, or, you know, I suppose Gary Neville couldn't watch United in the Champions League because they didn't make it past the group. And if he was watching United against Luton yesterday, yeah, not boring, yeah. but not for or, the reasons he wanted. Or United at Copenhagen was terrific excitement. Um, it was just a terrible result for them. And I think we we talking before about the goal City conceding, but the fact that they are conceding those goals, it makes it not boring because there is some jeopardy in the games as well. Yeah. They're, and, they're not and a th- perfect side. No, no. And I think as well, people have a tendency to sort of generalise City and say, oh, they're winning all the games again. Oh, oh, it's the same thing. Like, same old City. Like, no, like, the City team in certain years would never give up a lead um, or they'd never go behind. The City team this year frequently goes behind and has to fight back and claw their way into games. So, you know, you would say with this City team, before you comment on them, how about giving them a watch? Watch them, see what they do, see what they do differently, see what they do the same and then form an opinion. Don't just kind of, you know, base your opinion on not watching them or you know, seasons gone by because there's a hell of a lot of change in the summer transfer window, but the the club is also changing. And even like the Everton game, the formation, it was like, right, we've never seen this before with City, but off we go. Um, so yeah, it, it's just, it, I, I do think it's a shame that there's so much kind of talk around City that isn't necessarily based on having seen or looked at what they do or understand what they do. Yeah, Gary, have a watch of City and come back to us and we'll we'll have a chat. Um, leading on a little bit, one player who you would categorise as exciting, but I don't think took his chance against Chelsea is Jeremy Doku. So he came in for the injured Jack Grealish. We talked last week about does he actually have much of an end product? Do his sort of attacking teammates know what he's going to do? And I I felt he was sort of caught between the two minds of going direct and trying to make an impact against Chelsea, but also trying to do what Guardiola wants him to do, which is pass back. And I don't think he, I don't think he made the right decision often enough. And it, if we talk about Jack Grealish, who's very good for slowing down the attack, but creating an overload, I think Doku just slowed down the attack. And it felt like this was one of his big chances to, to show Guardiola that he can play in these bigger games and not, I don't really think he took it. What, what did you think about Doku's performance? I've ruined Jeremy Doku for you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I've, I, 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 I loved watching him until last Friday and then you've, <laughs> you've pointed out his flaws and I can't unsee them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have to be careful because I sound like a paid up member of the, the Grealish Appreciation Society. And I it, it's, it, it's one of those, when Doku signed, we thought, well, this is going to be really interesting because he, he's not the kind of winger at all that City are. Um, have made their success on for the last few years. And, you know, he he has been very exciting um, to watch and he is exciting to watch. And I thought he played okay against Chelsea. 
I thought he was sort of one of the livelier ones in the first half, was trying to make things happen, beating men. Um, but I'm just not sure still that him playing well necessarily means that City play well. And that is where sort of Grealish is the ultimate kind of team player of his um, his role being so important to the collective success. Um, whereas Doku, it, it just doesn't quite feel like he's on the same kind of wavelength at all times with his um with his teammates and you know he, he got um did he get four assists against Bournemouth um in the six one so he's not put up an assist in another Premier League game. So you know you talk about end product and ultimately it's there and sometimes it comes down to whether the strikers take the chances but he just isn't quite doing um the it feels in much the same way as kind of a kanji to stones is a is a drop down. It feels like you're not quite getting that same level on the left side that you um you would with Grealish performing well, and we've kind of seen it in a in a week um, with Grealish doing so well at Copenhagen. It comes down to injury, doesn't it? If if Grealish is fit, he starts that game, and Bernardo would also start potentially in place of him or or. Um... Julian Alvarez but then I, I do think Docker is at a stage now where he's probably the player to play against Brentford rather than Chelsea and and Bournemouth and, and those sort of not as important games where you can afford to give your sort of first choice player a rest and the defences who you can have a run at and you're probably going to get past nine times out of ten because he is a very good player I just don't think he's he looks like a, a player who is playing for Guardiola for the first time and is still trying to work out what that means. And you can compare him to Cole Palmer and we've, we've done the Cole Palmer chat to death, but they were born, I, I think I mentioned on Saturday, they were born three weeks apart. And I thought that was Palmer's best performance at the Etihad. He, he looked like a more complete player and someone who'd been coached by Guardiola for two and three years because he was just making the right decisions. And Doku hasn't quite got that, but it, I think it'll come with time. Yeah, and I think, you know, you can compare Doku to, say, Leroy Sane in his first year and, and it does just need that time. And you also look at City's movements in the next summer window with Savio and it feels like they're moving more towards that kind of winger. Um, so it's not like Doku's going to be written off and, and discarded or anything like that. I think he will only get more important, but it it was kind of telling after, you know, a month of Grealish not starting that just 20 minutes in Copenhagen and it was like, right, everything feels balanced in the city side again. And then, as we've spoken about at length, something just wasn't quite right against Chelsea. And, you know, some of that was player performance, some of that was individual. But I think a part of it was was losing that um, kind of anchor on the left side. Um, because, yeah, Doku, like I say, did well in, in certain parts of the game, but ultimately kind of didn't do enough. Before we look ahead to Brentford, I wasn't in Pep's press conference at the end, but um, there was talk of Kevin De Bruyne. Does he start playing deeper or is he more of a number 10? What was Guardiola saying about that and where would you see De Bruyne's best position? <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting, actually. It was one of those that wasn't like a, the headline, um, but 
uh, Guardiola was basically asked, you know, Kevin was playing in the in the final third. Do you see him kind of moving deeper um, as his career progresses or whatever? And and Pep was like, nope, absolutely not. Need him in the final third. Like I don't want him defending next to Rodri. And it's interesting because um, you know most players as they age move back on the pitch. You know, either from striker to attacking mid, mid to midfield, like you know Wayne Rooney or someone like that, or you know, from defensive mid to centre back, and um, and De Bruyne, I think he mentioned it uh, last year. Like he's going the other way; he's going further up the pitch as his as his career moves on, and he has had that time as kind of this quarterback. And um, you know, Roberto Martinez at Belgium quite often used him as a sort of deep lying midfielder because his vision's so extraordinary. But but Guardiola is saying no, absolutely not. Like his defensive side of the game is not where his talent lies. Um I want him pushed up the pitch as far as as far as he can be to influence the final third of the the pitch because the final third is, you know, where Pep says to his team, you have the quality, you go and do it. So there's no one better in the world than De Bruyne for doing it. You know, it does mean games like Chelsea that Julian Alvarez isn't defending next to Rodri and that isn't the best because you've got a number 9 you know, for all his defensive work, there are better ways of balancing your team than than having Alvarez defending next to Rodri. So, um, you know, uh, it's it. Yeah, Saturday was kind of it exposed a few things that weren't quite there. But I think De Bruyne playing high up the pitch will be will be one to stay. Is I mean, you can't argue with Pep at all when he says that because De Bruyne is. And number ten, and he's great at great at it. But I think, yeah, when you've got Alvarez and Foden and Bernardo all trying to occupy the same spaces, it felt like there was too many cooks in attack at times against Chelsea, and then a big gap to Rodri on his own. So yeah, when John Stones comes back, that is sort of that doesn't happen. And if Bernardo's there as well, he can sort of float in those spaces because he's he's got that ability as well. But I think there are some games where you might need De Bruyne to to step back and say, actually, no, the you do need to look behind you a little bit however sort of good you are going forward and putting those balls in an attack, there might be a need to sort of help Rodri out sometimes, but then you see him sort of striding through the through the midfield and, and playing in a, a three ball to Haaland or putting in one of those crosses and you need him in that, that area. But you mentioned the sort of him playing as a quarterback. I'd, I'd love to see that just for a little bit, sort of him playing a bit further back and just sort of spraying passes like a little bit, maybe like Steven Gerrard used to do or... It, it would sort of sacrifice and take away from what he could do in, in the number 10 position. But as an experiment, I think that would be really interesting to see. But it sounds like we're not going to see it at City at all. So uh, I think that's the end of our Chelsea chat. We'll uh, come back and look ahead to Brentford because the games are coming two or three days, uh, two or three times a week now and uh, we've got to keep up with them. So join us again in a second. Hello, welcome back to our final part of the Talking City podcast. A couple of things to bring your attention to. City um, launched a new trial, didn't they, on Saturday for um, getting fans to the games a little bit more easily. A number of new bus routes uh, for sort of areas of Manchester that aren't served by trams or other sort of public transport. 
um, our producer Seb got on one of those buses and uh, sort of assessed it for us and looked at what it was like and the pros and cons of it. So you've seen the video, you've looked at the plans. What can you tell us about this uh, new initiative? Now, I'm not saying Seb thought the buses were more important than the match, but I, I was getting phone calls from him about it sort of at 5.28 on, on Saturday. You know, like them, there, is, there is another thing happening today. Um, but um, yeah, uh, I think there were a few teething issues that will be in the video. and uh, But also, you know, it's... Is not really kind of the finished article. It's the the start of a big trial um, that that City are doing. So I think the sort of biggest takeaway uh, from that is that if you were on a bus, it's kind of important to say what you think and uh, and make sure the club know if you think there's a problem or if you think it's great, uh, what works and what doesn't, and they will kind of continue. Uh, evaluating that. I didn't realise the buses had sort of um, parked as far away from the ground as uh, as they did. But then when I got told kind of the reasons for it, I was like, all right, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, so, so it's all those things. But, you know, hopefully the video will answer those questions for a lot of people who might be saying, well, why is this or why is that? Um, it should um, really explain a lot that isn't necessarily apparent with kind of what's out there already. And it, I mean, if it helps some people get, get to the game a lot easier because we know the buses can be awkward if you've got to get three or four and there's no sham network. But that video will be coming on Wednesday and you can uh, check that out and see if, uh, if those buses are something for you going forward. We've also got an interview with David Bernstein coming this weekend. The former city chairman has spoken to us about his, uh, memories and experiences leading City before the uh, the current era and uh, that will also be coming in written form and also on the podcast and on YouTube so uh, look out for that we've got a few things coming up as well I'm going to plug one of my pieces coming up I spoke to the uh, academy director the new uh, the new manager of the academy uh, Thomas Crooken and uh, I'm not quite sure when that's coming out but a very interesting uh, chat with him about his plans for making City the sort of university of football and uh, sort of finding what the player of the future looks like. You were mentioning inside before about Doku and Savio being sort of the, the new sort of attacker that City are looking for. And it seems like the academy are looking for quicker, more technical players because in 10 years time, that's where they see the game going. So how do they put things in place now to to make sure that they can develop those players for the future and get a little bit ahead of the game? Because the academy have been so successful. How do you build on that and make sure it's successful for another 15, 20 years? Um, but before that, we have a game against Brentford to come up. Um, and then it's, it's it's a bit weird. They've played Brentford twice in, in a few weeks, haven't they? Because of that delayed... This is, well, this is the, the rearranged game from the, the Club World Cup. Lost twice against them last season. Ended that duck at the GTEC. It's it's probably a welcome a welcome fixture to have after the Chelsea one. An e- not an easy one, but a, a one where they can get themselves back into the stride and... Uh, put a little bit more pressure back on on Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, the ideal, wouldn't it, would have been to sort of beat Chelsea and have Brentford beat Liverpool on Saturday and then Brentford kind of say, oh, right, pressure off. We've done our our uh, our big thing for the week uh, and, you know, we don't mind not coming away with the three points at the Etihad. So Brentford losing kind of, an, and a big defeat really at home to Liverpool kind of adds to their 
um, incentive for getting something on on Wednesday, and they were on the end of a, a few questionable refereeing decisions as well that they weren't too too happy with. So that they will be very difficult to beat. And you know, Guardiola talks about his team not being on it um, against Chelsea. Well, they are going to have to be on it against Brentford because they are one of the the smartest teams. Thomas Frank is one of the best coaches in the league for for setting up against City and the top teams. So um, it it. It's nice that they have this game at home, and you know I thought the crowd were terrific on Saturday uh, with the five thirty. Uh, maybe usually less good in midweek, but hopefully they can they can bring that level of atmosphere again and uh, can sort of g City up for for this game because it it was the game where City could go top, and now it's the game where City have to have to win to um, to stay close to the top because. Uh, Liverpool play Luton on on Wednesday night at home, which you would expect them to win. So um, anything less than uh, a win for City, and you you're suddenly talking about being more than a win away. I'm at the risk of repeating everything that Kyle Walker told us in in the mix zone, he was saying it would have been really really good, and they were eyeing that opportunity to go top of the league, even if it was just for temporarily. But he he was also saying that in the next week or so, because. Liverpool are in the Carabao Cup final. They they will be on a level playing field with Liverpool and, and Arsenal after after this game. So they it seemed like they're quite keen to get themselves on that sort of level. Everyone's played the same amount of games and then go from there and see, see what they can do. I think you mentioned Liverpool have had a big win against Brentford. Arsenal put five against Burnley. City are four or five goals now behind in, in the goal difference as well. There's a few points between the sides, but that goal difference could be important as well. And these are the games where City have struggled against Brentford in a lot of the recent meetings. And it might be an opportunity where they do have to not just win the game, but maybe get a a few goals as well. A lot of games to play and the head-to-head games will be important. But that is another sort of side thing that I think might have to be kept an eye on. You're laughing, is that a... I I would just be very surprised if they were to win big against Brentford. You know, every oh, no, game I agree. They've, I agree. they've had against Brentford it has been tough. So I would be, I'd be very surprised if they're looking at this game thinking, right, here's a chance to sick ten past them and get the goal difference up. It is more a case of sort of eking out a win and and taking that and and going from there. Um, yeah, I think I, I wrote on Saturday that City were top scorers in the division, and now they're they're very much not because Arsenal uh, won big, uh, and you know uh, Arsenal last few games with a 6-0 against West Ham as well they've just catapulted their their goal difference up um, which is an important factor in the title race so you know I saw um, John Barnes saying recently that you know he I think over the weekend that you know he still wasn't having Arsenal as title contenders but but they are um, and they have to be regarded as as serious and that goal difference kind of took them uh, above City, where where they were, so it's yeah, it's one more thing to to think about. But you know, you've got to if if you start thinking about goal difference before you start thinking about wins, then you you're setting yourself up for dropping more points. Yeah, this is it. City just focus on every game, don't they? They don't look at the bigger picture until until it's it's sort of there. But I'm looking at the fixtures. They've got Brentford and Bournemouth this week, and then after that, in the league, they've got. United, Liverpool, Brighton, Arsenal, Villa in a row. Now they're all going to be very difficult games. So I think these two games are going to be important to 
just get those six points, keep on going and then see what you can do, especially with two sort of head-to-head games. Again, I asked Walker about those two head-to-heads and he was like, no, we're not looking further than Brentford and that's sort of the reason why City have, have done what they've done, isn't it? They only look one game ahead. If we do look ahead to Brentford, can can you see any changes to the to the team? You would expect if Bernardo is, was fit enough to come off the bench, he might be able to to play. Is there anyone else we can we can think is coming back? Yeah, you'd think Bernardo, you'd think Stones if he's fit enough to to come in will do. Um and it would be interesting to see if that is for a central defender or for Walker. Um and I would be yeah, I'd be surprised. Um, I suppose Bernardo will probably come in for for Alvarez, but then Alvarez played at Brentford. Um yeah, I think with the the situation as it is, I don't think there'll be too many changes. Um, we're kind of settling on the best, the best lineups, so um, it won't be won't be too different from Chelsea. And that's it. And we've spoken about Doku and why he might not be the perfect player at the moment, but I could also see him starting and doing well because it's. I feel like it's it's that sort of game at home where he could have a bit of space, and if City get an early goal and get a bit of control, then that might be a game for Doku to to do a little bit on the on the wing. So, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Can I get a score prediction from you, Simon? Ooh, I'll say 2-0. I think I'll go 3-1. I can see it might even be another first goal conceded, but I, I think it will be. I think they've learned the lessons from last season against Brentford. I know the final day one was a City reserve team, but um, yeah, I think... I think they'll I think they'll win and be fairly comfortable at it and the level of performance will probably be the same as Chelsea but with a bit more comfortable uh, play over the course of the 90 minutes we'll uh, of course be at the Etihad on uh, Tuesday we'll be at Pep's press conference today bringing you everything he's got to say keep in touch with us on the Manchester Evening News and we should be back on Friday to discuss what happened against Brentford and look ahead to Bournemouth followers as ever, on all the social media platforms, Man City, MEN, on YouTube, on uh, wherever you find your podcast, give us a like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us and we will uh, be back later in the week for uh, a bit more Talking City. Thank you. Thank you.